this morning as we were worshiping and just hearing the stories of our worship leaders, it made me think about my own story. And the one thing I want to encourage you with as we get going this morning is that whether I've been through really high times or really low times, the most important thing I can tell you about that is that God's grace has been there through it all. Through each and every moment, God's grace has been there. And grace is God's unmerited favor. It's, it's his undeserved love that he gives us. And so he gives us his love and we we're able to walk in that love. And no matter what I've been through, God's always been there. And I wanna encourage you that he has a story that he's writing with your life. And he wants to show people the gospel story through your life. And whether you're in a place that you feel like you're on a mountaintop, you feel like you're in a valley, or you're somewhere in between, God's still got the pen, he's still writing. Our job is just to surrender that to him and give him our lives. So I wanna encourage you today to do that, to surrender your life to God, to Jesus. Let him have the pen. Don't try to wrestle with him, but surrender it to him because he's here. His grace is for you and it's very real. Today, we're gonna continue the series of Better Story. Um, last week, we looked at how um, our identities and who we are are oftentimes defined by culture or by other influences in our lives. And today I really want us to look at what happens when we have a false identity. And the biggest thing that begins to happen is we oftentimes walk in a lot of condemnation. And condemnation doesn't really lead us to godliness. It's God's grace that leads us and propels us into the godliness that he wants us to live out. And so I wanna pray for us. I'm done praying, we'll jump into the message. And uh, my prayer is today, if you've been here before, you've been here for the first time, that God speaks to your heart and challenges you to really look into your heart and allow him to be in control. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your heart for us and your love and grace in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. God, that you are here and you are working among us, Lord. God, I pray that you would continue to do that work that you would continue to minister to hearts and change hearts and transform lives, God, because that's what you do. So Lord, we come to you and ask you that in the next few minutes, you would just speak to our hearts through your word, your word that's living and active. God, we love you and thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him that we could have life. It's in his name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to get there in just a second. Um, but first of all, I want to encourage you in this series, most of the series we do, each message could stand alone on its own. This series is one that really kind of builds on itself. So I'd encourage you to come and participate each Sunday. Be here each Sunday to hear the message and to apply what you hear. Um, the second thing is uh, to stick with it. You know, it's, it's going to be a process that we go through. And so just stick with it. And sometimes it even feels like it may be getting worse before it gets better. But I want to encourage you that uh, I feel this in my heart, uh, that God has a better story to write with your life, a story that uh, is written by the gospel story. And I believe that he wants to do that in you and through you. And so let's be here each week to receive what God has for us. 
uh, in Genesis 37, verse 1, we're going to be introduced to a man by the name of Joseph. You may be familiar with Joseph. He's Joseph, the one who his father gave him the coat of many colors. Um, that's who we're going to be reading about. So we'll pick up there in Genesis 37, verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, the same person, this is Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, and this is important, it's going to be very important as we go through this series, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as, as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Um, I remember uh, back, and I've talked to you guys about this some. We'll get back to the scripture in just a second. I've talked to you guys about this. Some of you heard this story, but I wanted to tell you again just to set up the message for today because it's an important part of my story. But uh, you've probably heard if you've been here a while that you know that I love baseball. And I've loved baseball for a long time since I was probably four years old. I can remember um, just always loving the game and wanting to play. And, and finally, uh, after high school, I had an opportunity to play at Southern. And uh, I used the word play loosely because I didn't do a lot of that. Um, and, and I went and Spent the first two years not having much success, not doing very well. And every day it seemed like a failure, one failure after another. And then finally the third year I started playing better. And, and I played better in, in practice and done so well in practice that I thought, I'm going to go to the coach and see why I'm not getting in the lineup more. And so I went and talked to him and I, I, I said, Coach, you know, here's the deal. I feel like I've been playing pretty good. I feel like I've gotten a lot better. I was wondering, what do I need to do to get in the lineup more? And he kind of looked at me and then looked off into some distant sky or something. I don't know what he was looking at. And he said, big guy, because he didn't know my name. He said, big guy, I think you're overestimating your talent and ability. I was like, dang. It was just harsh, just blunt, right? And so uh, I knew at that point that my baseball career was over. And the reason that that's important is because baseball had been my God. It was what I worshipped. It was what I wanted to be when I tell people when I was little what I was going to do in college. Um, it was always, I'm going to be a baseball player. And they said, well, you can't major in baseball in college, well, then I'm not going, right? And, and so it was a huge part of my life. Um, I literally worshipped as almost like a, a God in my life. And, and here I am realizing that this is coming to an end. And, and it was like the nail in the coffin of my dream. It was the nail in the coffin of my God. And, and it was being taken away from me. And to this day, baseball is the only thing I've ever quit. You know, and so it was a big deal for me to walk away from it. And, and uh, as I quit that, it's, it's funny now because I have these recurring dreams. Um, and one of the recurring dreams that I have is that I go back to Georgia Southern 
and I finished my last two years of eligibility. And so that's kind of crazy because now I don't think I could run all the way around the bases. Um, but, but I have that dream. It's just recurring over and over. It's almost as if that experience is still, you know, in a way, um, haunting me. It's still, still there. And so um, I've, I've, I've learned to deal with it. It's not that big a deal. But it is something that I've experienced in my life. And it's kind of that replay uh, over and over again as it comes back to me time and time again. And I think about that. Um, and I bet this. I bet that you can identify with that in some way. It may not be athletics and it might not certainly be baseball, but in some area of your life, there may be something, a person, a place, a thing that's happened that you did or that was done to you, that that person or place or thing that if you could eliminate it, it would make your life so much better. If you could get a redo in that area, it would make your life so much better. And kind of in that same replay mode, it just comes back time and time again. And it becomes a struggle for us. It sends us into this downward spiral of oftentimes condemnation, oftentimes depression. It becomes something very difficult for us to deal with. And we feel like we'll never get beyond it. For some of us, it's like a personal prison that keeps coming back to us. It's much more serious than a baseball game. And it keeps coming back to us over and over and over again. And whatever it is, it's wounded you or it is wounding you. And so we need to deal with this. We need to realize that God doesn't want us to be in a personal prison. He doesn't want us locked up. He wants us to be free. John 8, 32 tells us that. He says, you'll know the truth and then the truth will set you free. But I find so many Christians who don't live in the freedom that Jesus died to give them. And my hope and my prayer is as we go through this message today, as we go through this series, that we begin to discover the freedom that God has for us and, and he wants for us in our lives. When you look at Genesis 37 and you begin to look at Joseph's life, we see that he was the favorite of his father. He, he had his father's love. Um, and he also was called by his heavenly father. He, had, he knew that his heavenly father loved him. His heavenly father had given him a dream. He'd given him a promise of what was going to happen and what was going to take place. And so when we look at that, we see that Joseph knew he was loved by his earthly father. We see that Joseph knew he was loved by his heavenly father. And he had a purpose and God had a plan for his life. And that's important to see because I believe this, with all that went on in Joseph's life, he needed those promises, that promise that God had given him through those dreams to help him continue on, to not fall into a place of condemnation, to not fall into a place where... Um, he felt useless or felt like life was over, where he became bitter or angry or anxious about life. Because see, Joseph, after he told his brothers this story or these dreams, he goes one day to check on them. His father wanted him to check on them. And so he goes to where they're shepherding the sheep and they see him coming and they want to kill him. But Reuben, one of the brothers, talks him into just throwing him in this cistern, this hole in the ground. So they throw him in this hole and they're waiting for uh, you know, to, to leave and go and, and they really don't have any plans for him. But then these Midianites come through. This group of people comes through and, and they decide to sell him to them. Well, they, they, he gets sold to them. He's then taken to Egypt. In Egypt, a man by the name of Potiphar buys him and takes him to his home. He begins to take care of Potiphar's house. And the Bible tells us, I'm giving you 13 chapters real quick. Um, the Bible tells us that, that Potiphar uh, recognized the hand of God on Joseph. Joseph was prospering in everything he did, so he put Joseph in charge of his household. 
Well, his wife, Potiphar's wife, tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph runs out of the room. She grabs his shirt, holds on to his shirt, and tells uh, Potiphar that it's exactly the opposite, that Joseph had tried to just seduce her. And so when we see this, he gets put in prison. Um, he meets a cupbearer and a baker um, there in the prison. He, he interprets their dreams. The cupbearer goes back before Pharaoh. He tells him not to forget him, but he forgets him until finally Pharaoh has dreams he can't interpret himself. And the, the cupbearer remembers that there's a man who can interpret the dreams. Joseph comes to Pharaoh, interprets the dreams. It ends up where Joseph is then put second in command over everything that belonged to Pharaoh, everything in Egypt. And so you see this up and down, this turbulent life of, of uh, Joseph. And sometimes we hear the coat of many colors, we think it was all just good stuff, but he went through some really difficult times, some really difficult situations. And the reality of it is there were times where he could have given up. There were times when he was in a literal physical prison, but it seems like it's almost symbolic of what he was going through or could have gone through as far as an emotional prison or a, a, a spiritual prison. But we see that Joseph somehow always comes out of this. And I believe it was his ability to remember the promises of God and to remember who he was in, Christ, in God and, and eventually would be in Christ as he walked through life and he went through these ups and downs and difficult situations. All of those experiences could have got him in a trap of condemnation and bitterness, but he didn't. I bet if you go and you read chapters 37 through 50 and, and you begin to see Joseph's life, I bet you, you can relate to him in some way. It may not be the exact same things, but in some way we can often see ourselves in Joseph's story the ups and downs of life, the challenges of life, the difficulties that come. You know, God never promised us, uh, us that we won't have difficult times. He tells us we'll have troubles, but he tells us also that he's overcome the world. And so we can recognize in ourselves many of the struggles and the difficult situations that Joseph goes through, and we can apply them to our lives with some situations that we go through. And I bet in a lot of ways I can tell you where your life is at and how your life operates many times. And I wanna do that. I got some scenarios I wanna share with you and I want you to think about these and I want you to ask the question, do these fit my life? Is this how I am? Is this something that describes me? The first one starts as this, is that you wanna be a good person, right? Especially if you're a Christian, you wanna be a good person, you wanna be a good Christian. You want to hold up your end of the bargain, right? Uh, you wanna do right. Not too many people wake up and just go, I hope I'm a jerk today, right? Not too many people do that. Um, and, and you do well until you trip and stumble and fall and feel like you didn't hold up your end of the bargain with God. And when you do that, you're flooded by condemnation for feeling guilty for what's happened. You struggle under the condemnation because it's a weight that's too heavy for you to carry. And you end up in a familiar place, burned out and exhausted from bargain-based living or what we call legalism, where you're trying to please God by obeying rules instead of by faith in Christ. That funk lasts for several days, weeks, months, until you do right long enough to settle your conscience and slip back into God's presence. You put your nose back to the grindstone and you continue working and continue auditioning for God's love until you finally slip again. And it may work for a while, but your performance eventually fails 
and that guilt and shame returns and you realize I've let God down and I've let others down. I wonder how many of us could apply that to our lives. The second scenario is, is just as common, but it sometimes works with number one. But in this one, your life is moving merrily along. It's going well. Things are good. Uh, you would say that um, you're doing well in your marriage and your, or your singleness. You'd be productive and you have a purpose in life. If somebody were to ask you to tell them um, how good your life is on a scale of one to 10, 10 being great, maybe you're a seven, eight, nine, or 10. Things are doing really well, but then it happens. You see them or they call or you're reminded of it and all things fall apart. You begin to hate yourself because you're given so much control of your life to this person or this thing. You live with fear and anxiety because you know that another encounter with they, them, or it is just around the corner. Condemnation overwhelms you, not just because of what you did with them or it or what they did to you, but also because you can't move on. So you try to numb the pain. You try to find an exit, whether it be drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or sleep or food or quitting or even coming to the point of thinking it would be better if I just escaped this permanently. After some time, though, you pull yourselves up, yourself up by the bootstraps again and go again. But it's just a matter of time before it is triggered again by they, them, or it. The third one, you're a driven person. Life clicks for you when you're getting stuff done, when you're progressing things along. You like to build things, whether it's a company, maybe it's building people up, maybe it's building the community around you, maybe it's building your reputation, maybe it's building influence in, in your life so that you can influence other people. You like to see progress, you like to see things getting done. Nothing wrong with that, we need people who are that way. The problem is for you when things aren't getting done, when things aren't happening the way you want them to happen, then you become gripped by panic or fear that all of it might be slipping away. So you try to hold on to it tighter until you really choke the life out of it. The fear of losing it is only surpassed by a fear of someone else passing you and doing better than what you can do. And you're riveted by envy of those who are getting it done more than you are. You hear that something didn't go their way and you act like you have remorse, but somewhere in the dark corner of your heart, you're smiling. To say that you're competitive is an understatement. It's not a win or a loss on the line. It's your value and your worth. A win means acceptance with God and others. A loss means condemnation on all fronts, especially in your own heart. I wonder how many of us can fit into this, this performance mindset that I'm loved if I perform. Scenario four, the last one. Maybe you never really felt secure in who you are. Maybe you've never been the popular person. Maybe you weren't really disliked as much as you were just not noticed, at least not noticed by the right people. You do well until someone or a magazine or a TV commercial reminds you of who you aren't. Then you feel your stomach turning and jealousy in your heart. With reflection and honesty, you realize it's value and worth that's added by this attribute that you truly desire. Condemnation for who you are and is at the center of your struggle. 
is probably a specific attribute that bothers you the most. It's maybe wealth or charm or personality or charisma or material possessions, courage, social status. It may be beauty. You think about a girl's situation where she sees that value and worth is added to someone by this world because they're beautiful. And so she begins to spend her time trying to attain beauty, trying to be what she thinks she's supposed to be. And so she spends her life trying to attain this. Think about the other girl, though, who is beautiful. And the world recognizes her as beautiful. And she recognizes that there's value and worth added to her life by this world because of her beauty. She spends her life trying to maintain the beauty that she has. And the crazy thing about it is one girl's trying to attain beauty, the other girl's trying to maintain beauty, and they're both working themselves to death trying to attain an identity for themselves. And the reality of it is, either way, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try to get to the top of the pecking order, and it's exhausting to try to stay at the top of the pecking order. And we need to recognize this, that condemnation in each of those scenarios is creeping at the door. It's waiting to pounce on us, to come after us. And we come to this place where these scenarios and these things in our lives, they begin to create what we call sore spots. These sore spots are things that when they're poked, they send you into a downward spiral of despair and condemnation. And so it's the they or the them or the it, that thing that when you see it or they come in the room or they call on the phone or, or you're reminded of it by something you see on TV or whatever it may be, it begins to send you down this downward spiral into condemnation, into bitterness, into anger, maybe into despair or depression. And it continues to send you down into this spiral. I had two sore spots that I identified um, pretty quickly. The very first one had to do with this. I wasn't good enough because of my past and the things that I had done. And so anything that reminded me of my past, it poked that sore spot and I would go into a place of condemnation. I'd go into a place where I didn't feel like I was good enough or worthy enough to do anything. And so it was this condemnation that came from my past. The second one is that I had this, this sore spot that said I wasn't good enough and it bothered me for the unknown things in the future. The unknown things, when I didn't know how things were going to turn out. So when we had started the church and things began to grow and things began to happen, it's kind of like I said in that one scenario, because the reality of it is, guys, I fit every one of those. The reason I know that some of you are in those places is because I've been there. The only thing, I haven't been a beautiful girl, but the reality of it is everything else is in there. I, I've been there. And, and when we look at it, it's the sore spots that get pushed and the sore spot for me that would be pushed was what's going to happen in the future, especially when it came to the church. What's going to happen? Is it going to keep growing? Are we going to be successful? Are we going to win at this thing? Is it good? Is it, is it going to be something that God really uses? And we wrestled with that, and I wrestled with it. It would keep me up at night. It would, it would cause me anxiety and worry and fear because I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I didn't know if I'd be good enough to do this. I'm going to share something with you. It's absolutely embarrassing to me, and it's absolutely shallow, but it shows you where I was. And I'm very nervous about this, not because you're in here, but because one of those cameras, I don't know which one it is, is on Facebook Live right now. And so I don't know who's watching this thing. 
And, and, uh, but hey, Facebook people, whatever, how you doing? And uh, so anyway, I, 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 I want to share it with you, though, because I think it fits in to show how this sore spot was affecting me. When things started going well and I began to worry, I, one day I had this thought. I was like, what if a bigger church moves into Statesboro and somehow they take our people and, and everybody leaves and I'm just left there by myself? What if a bigger church moves in and, 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 and takes folks and, and everybody goes and begins to attend there and I, I'm just left by myself? And I started thinking back then, I was like, what church could do that? What church is around here that would want to come to Statesboro? And this is, this is no lie. This is the honest truth. I th- started thinking, I was like, what about Savannah Christian? That's weird. And so I started thinking about that. And, and I began to think, well, probably won't happen. And then uh, a few years later, as it moved on down the line, I find out that Savannah Christian's coming to Statesboro. I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, my, my dream is coming true, right? It's happening. I was freaking out. And, uh, and so I was kind of getting weirded out about that. And, and then I went, I got to this place in my life where I was at a really low spot. And my wife and I went out to um, Colorado to this place called the Blessing Ranch. And we went out there for a, a week and it's where they, they help pastors rejuvenate and recover um, from ministry and, and get them back strong again. And so we went out there for a week. And the first day I walked in and I met this man by the name of John Walker, Dr. John Walker. And he has helped me in so many ways with identity and with all of these things that we're going through um, in this series. And he said, I wanna introduce you to somebody that's here for the week also. And so I met this guy, he was temporary, or he had been in uh, another city he was currently pastoring in, but he said, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm from Statesboro, Georgia. He goes, that's so funny. He said, I spent a lot of time in Savannah for a long time. I was on staff at Savannah Christian. <laughs> it's like, what? And so I'm going, all right, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and, and so my insecurities and all of those things were working. Um, in my life and, and over time, but I began to discover who I was in Christ. And the crazy thing is, guys, that not only did they come to Statesboro, but it's like right down there. They built the, built the church right beside us. And if I hit a golf ball hard enough, I think I could hit, hit the property, I, I tell you. And, and, and I'm sharing this with you. We've got a great relationship, man. We prayed with them. They prayed with us. We pray for each other. I go by it almost every day going home. And when I go by, I pray for them because I I hope that they reach people. This thing's not a competition, right? This thing is about the kingdom of God. And they've been great. Um, I hope. I hope that the best is yet to come. And I believe the best is yet to come for, for them and for every other church that's preaching the gospel. And so I share that with you not to... Not, I, I, I just want you to see how that worked in my life and, and how God's brought me out of that. But he brought me out of that by helping me to see who I am in Christ. He brought me out of that by helping me see my value and worth to Jesus and in Jesus. And those words in Christ are so huge, they're so powerful. And we can begin to understand who we are in Christ begins to heal those sore spots in our lives. And so for you, whatever the scenario is, whatever the sore spot is, typically the result of those is condemnation. I want you to understand this. Condemnation does not 
seek to hinder your life. It seeks to destroy your life. Condemnation doesn't seek to hinder your relationships. It seeks to destroy your relationships. Because what we end up doing is we get to this place in our life where we begin to say, how can anyone love me like this? I used to wonder that and say that to Susan. There's no way you can love me like this. This broken, this beat up. There's no way. But the thing we have to begin to realize is that God has placed his value and worth in our lives. And that's where we have to draw our identity from. Our disappointments, our pain, our shame, all the work of condemnation. Listen, when we were out there in Colorado, it's been, I guess, four and a half years ago now, five years ago. We were out there in Colorado and we were going through this pastor care. I remember telling Susan multiple times on that Tuesday, kept telling her, we need to go home. We might as well just go home. She's like, why? I was like, I'm not changing. I've been like this for 37 years and I'm not going to change now. And see, I bought into that lie that even if you've been this way for your whole life, you can change because God can change you. Because God can do a work in your heart that transforms you. I want you to know like I'm freer now than I've ever been in my identity and in who God created me to be. And it can do, he can do the same thing for you. Where you don't walk according to what other people think or say or do, but you live according to who God says you are. And he wants to do that in your life. He wants to minister to you in that way. But you got to get past this excuse of, this is just how I am. But it's not how you have to stay. God can do a work in you. And he will do a work in you if we surrender our lives to him and we pursue him with everything that we have. Because oftentimes we get to this place where we start asking these questions. Will I ever get beyond this? Can I get beyond this? Does God just want me to be this way? Why have I prayed so much yet it's not going away? It's still there. Can I possibly be a Christian and still feel this way? Is this just the way I am? Is this my true identity? And then we get to a declarative statement that I'll never get beyond this. But my question for you in that is this, especially if you're in that place. Does that sound like the abundant life that Jesus promised he would give us? Absolutely not. John 10, 10, it sounds more like the first part of the verse than the second. It sounds more like the part where the, he says the thief will come to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus says, but I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So many of us live in the first part of that verse without ever getting to the second. We don't get to the freedom in Christ that we are told we'll have when the truth grabs hold of our heart. But it's there. It's there for us to grab. But we oftentimes live in this cycle of life-robbing condemnation. I want to read to you real quick out of Romans chapter 7, because this is the Apostle Paul writing, and, and I believe we see in this his own personal prison of sin and, and how he wants to get beyond this, but how it continually tripped him up. And it says, it says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. 
I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate to do, what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is sin, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. How many of you have ever, ever felt that way? I want to do the right thing, but man, I, I keep messing it up. I keep getting it wrong. It always helps me to look at the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the books of the New Testament and realize he struggled at times too. He didn't have it all together. He even called himself the chief of sinners. And so when we look at that, it's something important for us to see this cycle of condemnation. And so many of us live under the bondage of this. It robs each one of us in some way so many times. But Paul makes a great statement because he gets to the end of of Romans chapter 7 in verse 25 or 24. He says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And then he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so he says, who's going to save me? Who can deliver me from this? Who can change this? Who can do something with this? And he finally gets to the point where he says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who died to set us free. It's Jesus who took our sin upon himself. It's Jesus who took the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to. It's Jesus who died so that we could live. It's Jesus who changes us from the wretched men, the wretched women that we are. Jesus who gives us righteousness. Jesus. Who else has done that for us? No one. Only Jesus. Paul even goes so far as in Romans 8 in the very first verse, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And we've heard that so many times, but for so many people, it hasn't sunk from our mind to our heart. We mentally assent to it, but we don't realize that it's true. It's true for you. You can believe it's true for the person next to you, but you have a hard time believing it's true for you. And the reality of it is, it is true. It's one of the greatest truths we can walk in. And people will tell, tell us, well, you can't tell them they're, they're just forgiven and there's no condemnation. Then they'll just do whatever they want to. But this is what I believe is true. I do not believe that finding out that you are no longer condemned by God leads you to sin more. I believe it leads you to worship. It does something in your heart where you recognize what God's done for you. And it leads you to worship him. And then he gives us his spirit that changes our heart and that transforms our life. So we can overcome those things that are overcoming us. So we look to Jesus who gives us life. I want you to understand, guys, there's no bargain to be made. There's no legalistic way to get to God. There's no rule following way to get to Jesus. The only way to Jesus, the only way to God, the Father, is through Jesus. It's through faith in him. That's where it all begins, is faith in him. When we looked at Joseph's life and we saw his, his life and how it began, and, or where we pick up with it at least, and he has these dreams. Joseph knew a couple of things. He knew he had the love of his earthly father. He knew that he had a purpose from his heavenly father. And I believe those things are huge because when you think about all that Joseph went through, the cycle of ups and downs, how did he maintain 
his sanity, for one. But how did he not fall into a place of condemnation, of bitterness, of anger? I believe it's found in those promises. And for you and I, this ability to live free, this ability to live for God, this ability to, to, to walk in an identity that he gives us, this ability to walk free from condemnation, it all begins and it all ends and everything in between with the promise of God. The promises that he gives us, the promises in this book that he gives us that transform everything. If you go and you look in Genesis chapter 50, I don't have time to read all of it right now, but you get to the end of Joseph's life. Um, Joseph's father has died. And when his father dies, um, hey Chase, um, his father dies. We're really close today. But when his father dies, the brothers begin to think Joseph's gonna kill us all. And so they go and they basically beg for their life. But Joseph offers them grace. He's like, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm gonna take care of you. And he offers them grace. How did Joseph get to the end of his life with all that he'd been through and offered grace in that way? It's because he knew the promises of God. He never gave up hope. And we've gotta know those promises too of what God does for us and through us when we trust in him. See, Joseph never let go of the promise of God. He never forgot who he was according to that promise and he knew he had a purpose. And though he was hated and he was despised, he belonged to God. And though he was in a pit and at the mercy of those who hated him, he belonged to God. And though he was sold into slavery, he knew that he belonged to God. And though he went from riches to rags and rags to riches, he belonged to God. And though he was in prison, he belonged to God. And though he was forgotten by the cupbearer and the baker, he belonged to God. And so do you if you're in Christ. You're his son. You're his daughter. You're his child. He wants to work in your life. He wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be bound by this world and by this culture and what the world and the culture tells you. It promises so much and delivers so little. He wants us to be free in Christ. And there's no position that he found himself in that could change his position with God. It's the same for you, the same for me. It's not gonna change who I am in Christ. It's not gonna change my position with God. I want you to understand something about Joseph's life. We're gonna be looking at Joseph for the next few weeks because Joseph's life was not just about Joseph and your life is not about you either. It's about pointing people to Christ. And every word in this Bible points us to Jesus. And Joseph's forgiveness, Joseph's grace that he offered his brothers, all of those things point us to the reality of Jesus. Every bit of scripture points us to him. And so when we look at the life of Joseph, we can see the promise of God that he was bringing to us in Christ the forgiveness and the grace, the mercy, all of those things that he offered his brothers is a foreshadow of what Jesus would offer us. That we can now come to God the Father through Christ, not slipping into his presence, but coming boldly before his throne of grace to receive mercy in our time of need. We have that ability because of what Jesus did for us. 
And if we're going to walk in freedom, two things have to happen. One is that we've got to give our life to Christ and we've got to put our faith in him and receive the righteousness that he has for us and begin to grow in the righteousness that he has. The other thing is we've got to know the promises of God which are found in this book, the the Bible that is living and active. We've got to know those promises and we've got to claim those promises and grow in those promises and hold on to those promises. And even when it looks like it's not going to work, if things aren't going to work out, you go back and you hold on to those promises because they're true. God is faithful and God is sovereign. He's sovereign to do everything that he's promised. And so today I really want you to get to this point where you begin to believe because of God's promises that he has a better story for your life. It's a story that's not about you. It's about him. But our better story is found in the gospel story, which is his story. And I want you today just to be able to get to this place where maybe you can just say, I'll admit that God has a better story for my life. I'll I'll begin to try to believe that God has a better story for my life, that God can heal the wounds, that God can make me whole. When we went out to Colorado, uh, it was uh, Thursday, we were leaving on Friday. And uh, Dr. Walker asked me, he said, so how are you feeling? So I'm cautiously optimistic is what I told him because I didn't know if I was gonna change or not to be honest with you. Today, what I'm trying to get you to is a place where you would say, I'm optimistic about what God can do in my life. I'm optimistic about what God is going to do. And you come to a place where you begin to believe that. And as we go through the rest of this series, we're going to look at how we walk in that freedom, freedom from this condemnation, freedom from bitterness and anger, freedom to be who God created us to be. And so that's the second thing we want to do is to find those promises and to hold on to those promises. And we want to live with a mindset that says, God's not finished with me. He's going to write a better story. Today, I want to ask you, and we're going to get out of here, but today I want to ask you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, remember this is the first step, is putting your faith and trust in Him. I want to ask you right now, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you feel that that God has spoken to your heart and that you desire that, the Spirit is moving in you, and you would desire to, Accept Christ today. This is what I want you to do. We're going to celebrate with you. We're going to pray with you. I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I I don't have a relationship with God or with Christ, but I need that. I want a relationship with Jesus in my life. I need him to give me life. Anybody this morning that would make that decision? I know it's hard in front of so many people, but it's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. All right, then. I'm gonna pray for us, but I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna ask you, if you're here today and you can recognize maybe some of these scenarios in your life or you recognize this this cyclical pattern of condemnation in your life, but you say, today I'm optimistic that God can set me free from that. Then I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. And I'm gonna ask you to stand and we're gonna pray for you. I wanna pray for you. If you're here and and you see yourself, you understand this condemnation, this cycle of, man, I'm I'm struggling 
in this way. I'm struggling. And today I want to pray for you. I want to pray that we find who we are in Christ and that the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in us to transform us. So if you find yourself in that struggle, the struggle to walk in the identity of Christ, I'm asking you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Let's pray. God, thank you for the work you do in our lives. God, thank you for the work you do in our hearts. God, thank you for the work you did at the cross where you took our sin and our shame, you took our condemnation on yourself so that we could be set free. Father, I pray that you would work in these folks' lives and their hearts. God, just just give us an optimistic attitude that we can somehow, um, God, be set free from this because of the work you can do in our lives. Make us optimistic. Make us certain, God, over the days and the months ahead, certain of your promises and certain in who you are. God, your promises are true, and I'm thankful for that. So, God, I pray that we would hold on to those. I pray that we would be set free from condemnation and bitterness and anger, anxiety, fear, whatever it may be that hinders us from walking with you. God, I pray that you would just do a miracle in our hearts. God, thank you for writing a story, your story, with our lives. And we love you and we praise you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.